0: The unsurpassed penetrating and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad cases. Now we can see and hear it, we can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. <clears throat> Master Koten sent around uh, his affirming flame uh, emails the other day, and I saw the one on uh, Beethoven's Ode to Joy. So, since this is a joyous season, um, and it starts with uh, a blind cellist standing out in front of Notre Dame and a young girl, about eight years old, coming up with a recorder and playing the first parts of uh, Beethoven's Ode to Joy. And then within a couple of minutes, all this entire orchestra and chorus have assembled, <laughs> and they're all playing this Ode to Joy. And it was, it's really beautiful, but it was probably a setup. You know, they probably arranged all this in advance. And I thought, well, I think this scripture that I'm going to be talking about today is also a setup. (laughs) The Buddha could not have done all of that, this entire book with 800 pages or something, 460 pages, (laughs) in one afternoon. And one of the quotes I'll be quoting today is the Buddha saying that all words are false. And so um, what I'm trying to do is to tell you, however, that uh, the source of our delusion is also the source of our salvation or liberation, um, which is what the Shurangama Sutra is talking about. Since I was invited to go to Europe next summer to give a little bunch of talks on this, I was looking at it um, out at the Hermitage recently realizing how much I don't know. (laughs) And so I wanted just to give you a little bit of an introduction to um, the Sharingana Sutra. It starts with Ananda, the Buddha's uh, chaplain and um, the one of his disciples who had memorized everything, all the scriptures which seems outrageous anyway that anybody could do that. (laughs) Uh, He was invited to uh, somebody's house to go for a meal and the next day he was coming back and he was invited into another house where there was a very young beautiful young woman um, who was enchanting this um, whatever it was she was chanting to uh, try to seduce him. And he was getting very interested. And the Buddha, with his wisdom eye, was able to see that this was going on. So he has Manjusri learn the Shurangama litany and go to where Ananda and this young lady, um, are both sitting on the bed there, and <clears throat> the Shringama litany was strong enough to break the spell that she had been taught. Uh, and by the time they get back to the monastery, um, she's already become a bikuni. So that was that was fast. <laughs> and that's not even that's before you get to. This. <laughs> 460 pages. (laughs) By the end of the scripture, she has become Arhat. And Ananda still has another 20 years after the Buddha's death. (laughs) So she's a quick learner. And the first chapter is the Buddha asking Ananda, where is the mind? And Ananda is talking about the Intellectual mind, the Buddha is talking about the, the Buddha mind. And as Reverend Master Chushin defined the Buddha mind in the poem that he wrote, it says, that which fills and contains all things. There's no place where the Buddha mind does not exist. And the next chapter is about awareness, because awareness is what doesn't die and isn't born. Awareness is the Buddha nature. And we all come fully equipped with the Buddha nature. One of the teachings of the scripture is that we don't have to get something. We have to let go of something. We have to let go of our delusions, and delusion is is the delusion of the self. And so the heart of the scripture is trying to explain... um, how you convert that ignorance into understanding. And one of the delusions our society sells us is that you're basically inadequate. You need more money, better partner, newer cars, a computer that never has any problems. That you have to have something else, and Basso was trying to tell all of us that um, you have to look through the eyes of the Buddha and not think of, not consider whether the self is adequate or inadequate. Um, And that's what this scripture, the Shurangama Sutra, is is all about. Is is It's explaining that we already have the Buddha nature. we got everything we need. We're fully equipped. In fact, we're so fully equipped (laughs) that we believe that the self is real. And um, the self is really the source of our delusions. And getting rid of that self no easy problem, no easy solution here. But the Buddha, is, the Ananda is able to ask a really good question, and he gets a really good answer. I'm quoting here, I might make a couple of um, editorial changes as I go along. So this is Ananda asking the Buddha, I only hope that the greatly compassionate one will be moved to deeply pity us who are drowning in the sea of suffering, the sea of our afflictions. How the knots of our bodies and minds are tied and where do we begin to untie them so that we and the suffering beings of the future may be freed from the cycle of death and rebirth and fall no longer into the three realms of conditioned existence having spoken that he bowed to the ground as did all the others in the assembly he shed tears as eagerly um, as he eagerly awaited the sublime instructions given by the buddha the world honored one When you realize the depth of sincerity of his question here, you know, and his willingness to um, break into tears trying to get the answer to this, how do I untie these knots? Then the world honored one took pity on Ananda and all the others of the future, and all in the assembly who needed instructions, wishing that for the sake of the future, they might transcend the conditioned world and become guides for the time yet to come. As he circled his hand above the crown of the Buddha's head, of Ananda's head, his hand shone with a light that was the color of the purple-tinted gold of the Jambu River. Then, throughout the t- all the ten directions, every world in which Buddhas were dwelling, shaked in six ways, each one of the numberless Buddhas of those worlds emitted resplendent light from the crown of his head. Those beams of light shone down upon the crown of the Buddha's head as he was seated in the um, Jetri's grove. No one in the assembly had ever with, witnessed such an event. Then Ananda and all the others in the great assembly heard the numberless Buddhas throughout the universe, speak in one voice, although with different tongues, saying, Well done, Ananda. You want to understand the ignorance that you are born with. The source of that knot, what causes you to be bound to the cycle of death and rebirth, is your six faculties of perception and nothing more. Also, since you wish to understand the Supreme Enlightenment, you should understand that It is through those very same six faculties that you can quickly gain bliss, liberation, stillness, wondrous and everlasting. Although Ananda heard these words of the Dharma, he did not understand them. He bowed his head and said respectfully to the Buddha, how can it be that nothing more than the six faculties bind us to the cycle of death and rebirth? while at the same time they can cause us to gain wonders and everlasting bliss. The Buddha said to Ananda, the faculties and their objects come from the same source. What binds and what unbinds are one and the same. The consciousnesses, by their nature illusory like flowers seen in the sky, in response to objects, Ananda, these There is perception and response to the faculties There are objects. Neither the objects nor perceptions of them have an essential nature. They are all dependent upon each other, like intertwining weeds. Know, therefore, that the establishment of perceived objects, such that they exist separately from our awareness, is the foundation of our ignorance. So that's what I'm trying to explain today. (laughs) And the explanation is, quite simply, that we see things through the eyes of the filter of self. So we don't see things as they truly are. We see things as I twist them through my likes and dislikes, my fears, my greeds, angers, all of my conditioned karmic conditioning um, is what distorts that perception. The perception itself is the Buddha nature. The perception is what doesn't die. It isn't born. We all have it. But we have it, we twist it because we, we see it through our old habits. Neither the objects nor perception of them have an essential nature. Everything that exists is falling apart and being reborn again. All, it, all these things. They're all the Buddha nature, but they don't have anything that is real. So, but it's, if you think of it as emptiness, Reverend Master Ji used to say, it's the fullest emptiness you'll ever know. Because it, it's the emptiness of this pure awareness. Know, therefore, that the establishment of perceived objects such that they exist separately within our awareness is the foundation of ignorance. What we're saying here is that by looking through the filter of self, you create a self and you create another. And that duality is the basis of our a delusion of a self. It's how we see things. When objects are not perceived as separate from awareness, that itself is nirvana, which is the true purity, free of outflows. Why would you allow anything else to be added to it? Well, because we come with old karma. what I want to talk about is that the conversion of that karma by understanding ourselves. Because Socrates was, was absolutely right in terms of Buddhist practice. It's we have to know ourselves. We have to see when ourselves are getting in the way. And we see that because we experience suffering. Suffering has a purpose. It's there to show us where we don't know something. That's our ignorance. And when we see things through this filter of self, where Master dies, we have at least talked about it, in terms of having very dark sunglasses, layers of them. <laughs> and so the way in which we perceive things, um, we, don't rec- we don't recognize that it is our perception of things that is distorted. I tried to turn on the wrong light switch yesterday, and the lights didn't these Four King lights didn't work because <laughs> I had the wrong light switch. <laughs> I thought it was a light switch <laughs> but maybe it wasn't the light switch, maybe it was the person turning on the lights <laughs> and that's exactly what we have to look at. you know what? What are my habits? If we can sit still in the midst of not knowing something and allow that feeling to go through without either repressing it or indulging it, we have a good chance of cleaning up the karma by having it simply pass through because we are just karmic washing machines. And if those feelings of frustration are like... uh, I tried to make a Skype call yesterday and I couldn't get my Skype thing to work. (laughs) We ended up talking on the telephone. (laughs) I couldn't get it to work this morning either. (laughs) But the point is that the the last time I worked on it, Um, I wasn't bothered by it. If it doesn't work, even if it never works, it's not a problem. (laughs) In fact, it would probably be a a great joy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we have computers and learning patience is how this, is, this work of conversion is accomplished because it's what Thich Nhat Hanh says about patience. It's the opening of the heart in the midst of things that are difficult. So when you have a strong emotional reaction to something, instead of just acting out of impulse, if you can open your heart to that and see what it is that I need to do to change myself to find out how to make this situation work. And very often you can't make the situation work. There are some situations that just aren't going to work. (laughs) And that's okay, because you can't fix everything. But you can open your heart to the greed, anger, frustration, and fear. You can see, for example, When I look at something really nice, some really nice food, my greed arises, but do I have to take more than I really need? And when we look at that, like smoking is an addiction, but because it's a habit, we don't see how to not do that. Alcoholism, whatever the addiction is, drugs, whatever, It's our willingness to to be still in the midst of having a strong desire or aversion to something. And just take a good look at that. Explore it. See where self is there. Because only when we can see it with the eyes of compassion can we do something about it. But we have to understand that the nature of this delusion is the self. And it's only we can... own. We're the only ones who can change this. The Buddha insisted that he wasn't a savior because he can't do that for anybody else. All of us has to do this for ourselves. And you have to do it because you're compassionate. You have to treat yourself with kindness. You have to realize that, oh, if I act out of impatience or fear, i just create more suffering for myself. And it's that stepping back for a moment, in the midst of those illusions, that delusion self. Realize that really, those really strong emotions, they're really not you. They're just habits. And being able to, to separate ourselves from this sense of separation of person and object, that that's <clears throat> the way Dogen explains it is In terms of the precepts, he says, Within these precepts dwell the Buddhas, enfolding all things within our unparalleled wisdom. There is no subject or object for any who dwell herein. All things, earth, trees, wooden posts, bricks and stones, become Buddhas. And that's that's how you see things through the eyes of the Buddha. If you're looking through the eyes of the Buddha, you see the Buddha nature in everything. You see that... in the cat and the dog, it's like, I was greatly um, encouraged to find out that the Inuit people of the far north, also in Greenland, they don't have separate words for he and she in their language, and they don't have a separate word for animals and people. <laughs> and I think, well, this, this conditions how they think about things, and if you realize that you're conditioned to think in terms of he and she, you're conditioned to think about animals and people, then you create this separation. And, and we have to see how our language, how our culture, how our personal karma that we, that we inherit all have this innate subject-object duality. And we have to see that when we act on that, we're acting on delusion, we're creating more suffering. But we have to see that we do act on that. We also have to see that we make judgments. And the judgments keep us from understanding uh, what it is that we're actually looking at. Because they, the judgment is, bad person, or I don't like that person, or whatever. and So there isn't anything more to learn. So we have to see when we're judging. We have to see when we're angry. We have to see when we're fearful. Uh, I don't think of myself as somebody who worries very much. I was out of the hermitage, and I started to worry about things. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I can just jump in there and start worrying about stuff if I want to. (laughs) I thought, I don't want to do that. you can see yourself going to those places uh, where we're acting out of habit, where we're acting out of judgment, where we're acting out of fear, when you can see that and say, no, I don't want to go there, then you can can help yourself. You're getting to the source of the delusion. But you have to see it in in a kind way. You have to see it with compassion. And you also have to take yourself not too seriously. <laughs> because um, acting on this delusion of self is <laughs> its really stupid. <laughs> and the stupidity isn't, isn't because we're stupid, it's because we don't understand what it is we're doing at the time. And when we, we look more closely, at ourselves, we see we're doing these things that are simply ridiculous. (laughs) And when we can laugh at ourselves a little, we don't take that ridiculous stuff quite so seriously. And that's really important. (laughs) But we also have to understand the scriptures. Even if this wasn't said in one afternoon, this entire book, (laughs) doesn't mean that there isn't something very helpful to learn from. So this is the Buddha, after my last quote there, saying, In our true nature, all conditioned things are seen as empty. That which arises from conditions is illusory. That which is unconditioned is not born, nor does it perish it, too, has no reality like flowers in the sky. One of the earlier chapters of the book is about visual awareness, and, and the Buddha started out the day having his meal with King Prasarajit, and that's where he saw that Ananda was in trouble. And he, the king's question to the Buddha was that there are other teachers who tell us that there's, there's nothing after death. And so the Buddha shows um, the king, asks him, you know, when you first saw the river Ganges, how old were you? He says, three years old. I said, I knew it was the river Ganges. He said, well, when do you next see it? He says, when I was 13. He said, did it change? No. It still the same. Did you change? No. I was very different. <laughs> he says, now I'm 62. The river still looks like the same thing. <laughs> His awareness of the river is the same thing but he is getting old and wrinkled. And so the Buddha was trying to tell him that that which doesn't change is the eternal. Which does change is karmically conditioned stuff. Though we use words to try to speak the truth, all words are false, in other words, You can't explain the Buddha nature in words. You have to experience the truth for yourself. Not only words that aim at truth, but false words, or they're all false. Both that which is called true and that which is called false is false. (laughs) How can there be, therefore, observer in what is observed? The perceiver and the perceived, there is nothing that is real. They are like vines that only stand by twisting around each other. Entanglement and liberation share a common basis. The path of sages and of common folk is one path only. Everybody has to do this for themselves. You should consider now these vines that twist around each other. The vines have no existence, and yet they do not lack existence. The darkness of confusion is our basic ignorance. The light of understanding brings about liberation. A knot must be untied according to a certain sequence. And when the six have been untied, the one will vanish too. So choose one perceiving faculty and realize that your breakthrough. Enter the current. Realize true enlightenment. From subtle Adana, that is the storehouse consciousness, the energy of habits can burst forth into a torrent, lest you confuse the true and what's untrue. I rarely speak of this. But when your mind grasps hold of your own mind, that's not illusion. And then becomes illusory. And if you don't grasp hold, then what is called illusion and what's not illusion too will not arise. How could what is illusion be established? The story he gives for that is, is Yajnadara, who um, looked in a mirror and didn't see his head. He thought he lost his head. Went running around the town um, screaming that he'd lost his head. Well, there's nobody who could put the head back, (laughs) so it was still there. and That's the nature of our delusions, that we think in ways that create this self and other separation. And we have to change how it is we perceive things by doing our meditation, by keeping the precepts, by seeing how it is that we create our own suffering. This Dharma may be called the wondrous lotus flower, the royal, indestructible, magnificent awakening. This practice of sama- samatha, excuse me, samapati is the way this words. it's, it's um, just samadhi. Uh, <clears throat> this practice of samadhi through likened to illusion can quickly bring you past the ones who need no further training. The peerless dharma is the road that all world under ones, all Buddhas, have walked <coughs> to reach the gateway to nirvana. And what he's talking about here is choosing one of the senses and going inwards. At this point, Uh, Ananda still thinks that he's going to zap him with a hidden transmission and he doesn't have to do the work of changing himself. And so the Buddha realizes that, so he asks twenty-five arhants and bodhisattvas to describe their understanding. And everyone has a different way of getting there. The last one is Avalokiteshvara, and Avalokiteshvara talks in terms of turning si- the, the sound uh, inwards and listening to silence, basically, which is what our meditation is. And going into that and keep going deeper and deeper until full understanding as, as the Buddha did, as much understanding as the Buddha, or well, maybe just a little bit less. <laughs> um, and what we have to realize is that our meditation and our commitment to the precepts and our willingness to look kindly at ourselves and other, other beings has an effect. Somebody was noting that there's been some progress made with some of the juniors. And master man said, yes, training works. <laughs> And it does work, but we have to do the work. We have to learn to sit still and see, when we experience suffering, that we have created this out of a misunderstanding. And if we open our hearts to that misunderstanding, there may be room there for us to understand a little bit more deeply. But this is an ongoing process. It may take a couple of lifetimes. I'm reading the Jataka tales. They're 500 and something. So we don't have to expect all of this to go away, and it doesn't matter. It matters that we make the effort on a day-to-day basis to get out of bed and make the best do the best we can for that day. And even with, um, even when we are trying to explain something and not doing it skillfully, <laughs> and I speak for myself. Because these things are very difficult both to understand and also to live by that understanding. And the more we can be patient with ourselves in our meditation, the more we can open our hearts to the uh, whatever reality that we're dealing with, you know especially like again, I'm getting older, so I don't walk as well as I used to walk. <laughs> I stumble around. <laughs> I don't remember as well as I thought I remembered. (laughs) And maybe my thought of what I used to be able to remember is just an illusion. (laughs) A story that I've told myself. And what we have to do is to take our reality and realize that we don't have to have it any other way. We can just have... This reality today is, in fact, the Buddha realm. Sometimes the weather's good, sometimes the weather's not so good. Sometimes I remember my car keys, or I empty my pockets properly and put the stuff back in, and sometimes I don't. (laughs) And having some kind of this, this sense of honesty that Um, we have this opportunity as human beings to know the same thing that the Buddha knows. And that our vows to keep the precepts and our vows to, to practice meditation is what eventually will lead us to deep understanding. But those vows transcend birth and death. And... The, the practice transcends birth and death and the deeper we go uh, into the seeing where we're keeping the precepts and seeing where we're not keeping the precepts, uh, the more the heart opens just because we're opening ourselves up to whatever the reality is. There was a lovely poem written by um, Mary Oliver a whole book on that dogs that I was just giving the other day. There was a great one about a junkyard dog who wasn't even born on an old car seat. He was born in the dirt. dirt. <laughs> and when he could open his eyes, he saw there were grass and trees. But in the night, he looks up and he's got these worms gnawing at him. But he sees one star, not a whole bunch of stars, but just one star. And he falls in love with this star. <laughs> And it's a lovely poem. It says, when you're just there and you're loving yourself and you're loving something, (laughs) that's where you're at. And you can be a junkyard dog, (laughs) seeing only one star, but loving it. And loving your situation, whatever you happen to be in and saying that you don't need something more than that. You can deal with computer problems, or the car that doesn't start, or the flat tire on the freeway, whatever those things are. And I was sent recently a picture of a man in Somalia who, um, his four-year-old son had just died of cholera. He was homeless. He was living in a makeshift tent. But they somebody had got him some fresh water. <laughs> And so he was, he was sitting there both in his grief and with his fresh water and his tent, and he was okay. And suffering does exist, and we have it pretty good here, uh, when it actually comes down to it. And we're not refugees, and we, we're not waiting for somebody to provide some clean water so our kids don't die of cholera. And at the same time, this is what human existence is like. And for whatever karmic reasons, some people are um, in a very, very difficult situation, and anything we can do to help these people, please do it. But realize that you can't solve all the problems of suffering, but you can do something about yourself, and that's right here, right now, today, is your opportunity to do that. And when you get an opportunity to help somebody else, then please do it because the kindness that we have and our just just our concern for the suffering of others is enormously helpful so i think that's going to be enough for today <laughs> thank you